gentlemen of the worldwide interwebs good evening and welcome to joe's people it's a catholic podcast but it's not totally lame tonight on the big show joe's good friend katie martin joins him as co-host joe talks all about his exciting new role in helping to develop the diocese's five-year pastoral plan then it's two cups of joe as joe morris returns to talk about his new book now and at the hour of our death it's more fun than a barrel of seminarians and now the man who makes me a better catholic Wait, I'm not saying that. Didn't you try to sell a reverse mortgage to Methuselah? Hey, stick to the script or we'll get somebody else to do this. Anyway, alright. The man who makes me a better Catholic, Mr. Joe Geisler. And Katie Martin. Alright, so thanks for that awesome intro. It was an awesome intro, wasn't it? That was a great intro. That was great, yeah. So now, um, yeah, I'm here with my friend... Uh, Katie uh, Martin, and uh, <laughs> that is my name. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> well, you know, you're one of my one of my top five Katies, and uh, top so, five. Yeah, top five. And, uh, <laughs> well, there's you. You know, there's Katie Fu. Well, there's a bunch of Katies, but uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's a popular game, but yeah. So uh, um, yeah. So how's life? How's it going? Life's going well. I'm I'm working on training for a half marathon, so. That's good. And no, you're, yeah, you're going to raise money for the for your shrine effort. Mm-hmm. For the see, whenever you guys talk about a capital campaign, um, if you're outside of the nonprofit world, like you think that I, I thought the capital campaign has something to do with like us being at the capital, but it doesn't. It has <laughs> no, to do with, like, ironically, money, you know? no. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting. Even though yeah. we're in the capital of Texas, it's not. It's just about yeah. getting capital to build a shrine. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I like that double meaning, though. You yeah. know, like capital, capital of Texas, and capital like accruing yeah. money. So yeah, capital is sometimes also like a an, um, like a slang expression too. True, a capital like, idea. Oh, yeah. capital, capital. Exactly, capital <laughs> idea. Hold on, yes. Uh, but now, yeah. Now, so now you guys are swimming in cash now, right? Now you, you raise a whole bunch of money, right? So we're getting right. really close. We have six thousand seven hundred ninety-nine dollars left to raise before we can break ground. Okay, cool. Which is very exciting. That's and pretty good. In this past year, we raised seventy percent of the total funds that we need to build the shrine. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember you guys had a pretty cool. Uh, you had a pretty. It was a good uh, um, gala, and uh, mm-hmm. you didn't do the hard sell really. Usually, people are yakking at you in the middle of dinner. You guys actually let us eat dinner and talk to our yeah our friends. We treat our guests uh, right. It was, it was good. It was, it was a good time. There wasn't any dancing, but I, I think I went dancing afterwards. I remember sure. that. I, I remember you invited me to go. I did. Yeah, you guys yeah, were was, kind of wiped I out. I guess totally wiped out. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Usually after my events, I want to go dancing. So but, yeah, but, that's good. But yeah, so uh, yeah, and we had our we had the fundraiser. Hopefully, yeah, fortunately, the fundraiser I, I hosted it didn't cost you any money. But but we did we made a no. little bit. Yeah, so yeah we made a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so yeah, so I, what I've been doing, I was yesterday, I was um, I was at the steering committee meeting. It was for uh, Bishop Vasquez's office has been organizing this um, effort to create a five year pastoral plan. And 
See, Archbishop Amon had created a five-year plan, and that one is running out. So now we're gonna we're gonna kick off a new plan. And somehow somehow my name got in the mix. I don't know where. And I usually complain nobody ever listens to me. And then somehow like somebody put my name. I, I don't know who it was, but so they asked me to be on this committee to uh, try to you know work with the bishop. And he's serious. He's he was a. Uh, he was there for pretty much six hours with us yesterday, just um, you know, getting input and uh, working on a wow. plan. And so, yeah, we're, we're it's going to be like a long process. We're going to want to talk to everybody and get people's input. And we're having listening sessions, which um, I was kind of concerned because I remember Hillary Clinton did a listening tour once. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hate to think we got the name from that, yeah. but but it's more so people know that it's like about listening to them. So, so we're inviting people to come in, and uh, I'm going to have an ad to tell people about. When it is, there's one's come, one coming up January 21st, I believe. But um, we're going to have several, and it's going to be people can come and um, just talk about uh, talk about you know we want to get a feel for both the status, you know how 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 um, how is the church doing in Austin, but then also you know what are people's uh, needs for the future, what do they expect out of their church? Um, mm-hmm. So and get everybody's uh, both get. A um, get information, but then also get ideas. Um, and the bishop said, "It's uh, we're not just see. I, I was I'm, I'm viewing it as an engineer, we're gathering data, and we're you know building a model, trying to figure out you know just adjust, fix problems, and things like that." He's talking about more like you know we're proceeding in prayer, we're being led by the Holy Spirit, and mm-hmm. uh, so in fact we did we prayed before and after the whole thing, and we had mass in the middle of the day, so so it was nice. Mm-hmm. And then um, oh yeah, so our buddy. Monsignor Mike Sis, he's going to become a bishop of San Angelo, so. which is very exciting. He's awesome, and he I, he came and helped. Uh, he gave the talk at your guys' he fundraising did. gala. It was it was a fabulous talk, though. You like, yeah. and we have we have a recording on our website still. So oh, cool! If anybody See, I, wants to check it out, it's. it's I, I didn't know that. I think he there was definitely a portion of it that he did on the theology of beauty, and hmm. that for me was. Amazing, and and the rest of the talk is about kind of the theology of shrines and how they kind of have evolved over Catholic history and what you know what shrines mean as a place of pilgrimage where people can go and um, really take time apart from the rest of the world. So, and they're for everybody, right? And and the thing is that they're um, they're also. Um, they're, you know, they're not parish specific, right? This is for, this is for everybody, everybody. And it's also, we don't, we don't have something like this in Austin. We have places you can do perpetual adoration. Um, we have a grotto at San Jose, but we don't, we don't have a, we definitely don't have a, a Schoenstatt shrine here, Yeah. Uh, but in general, we don't have a shrine. So right. Yeah. We don't, we don't have a shrine dedicated to Mary anywhere yeah. in Austin. So, yeah. yeah. So this will be good. And then, uh, yeah, we, I, I, I actually had emailed him today, uh, talking about, um, cause I was, when, yesterday when I was talking to, um, some of the different people from around the diocese, we always talk about how, what an awesome speaker Monsignor Sis is. And that, uh, cause it's, uh, even I was at his mass for, th- uh, for Thanksgiving, um, or mass of Thanksgiving, uh, that he, he, uh, celebrated, uh, last week at St. Thomas More, and he gave a homily and it lasted all of, I think, about four minutes. But he hit all the points he wanted to hit, and he was done. Yeah. And, uh, and his, I mean, it's he he does very. It's always very well organized. Um, he hits all his bullet points, and like you tend to remember it for years. Yeah. So I told him he has to like, 
at some point. I, you know, he was kind of busy, possibly, uh, you know, but he could like, he needs to like sit down and write a, like maybe five or ten tips for people on how to, how to give a good speech or how yeah, to give a good homily. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I told the, I told him that, uh, actually St. Alphonsus Liguori, he actually wrote a book called Sermons for Every, Every Day of the Year. Huh. For every Sunday of the year. Um, so he, he had a, um, I mean, a big, thick book. And uh, uh, one of his first tips is to try to keep your homily under an hour. Because so. <laughs> you, might, you might lose people if you run over an hour. Maybe so, a yeah. <laughs> so, But, you know, in Austin, there'd be riding, I think. But, or it'd just be massive. You'd be, they'd be on one. They wouldn't yeah. really be hom- giving a homily to anybody other than maybe the altar boys and deacon. But, right. <laughs> but, yeah, but... Uh, but so I told him, any kind of a late assignment, he just has to jot down ten po- talking points. That's easier yeah. than what St. Alphonsus Liguori did. So I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it seems like Monsignor should give the homiletics course for the seminarians. Or, there you go. You, you know. get to sign him up for that. Just, so. Yeah. I know lots of people who are like, I don't even know what he was saying. And then there are other people who like listen to like Monsignor Sis and say, he's great. You know, like... Yeah, I, he gave a talk on stewardship that I still remember from like six years ago. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it sticks with you. We we do. There is an embarrassing picture. Well, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but there's a picture of him when he first entered the seminary with a beard and feathered hair from the eighties. So, great. <laughs> uh, that's I think that's that's somewhere out there on the diocese uh, Facebook page. So. You gotta dig that up. <laughs> yeah, we gotta. Go on. We'll have to put that on the on the on the website. So so yeah, we're thinking. I'm I'm we're, I'm considering a road trip out there to San Angelo. Go, go see him uh, ordained because it's not every day you, somebody you know gets ordained a bishop. So that's but very true. This this would be my first. So, so now um, the other thing I want to ask about. Okay, so I went to your guys. Uh, Schoenstatt has a um, uh, covenant mass with, mm-hmm. like once a month, and uh, so the last time I went, it was um, it seemed like maybe you had fifty people or possibly more. Now, yeah. what's going to happen now when you build the shrine? And that thing can only hold like 30 people. True. So what are we going to do? Are you going to have to have tickets or what's, uh, <laughs> are going to have the door open and like people hanging around outside or standing room only or? Um, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have the door open. Maybe a second shrine or how's that? Oh yes. If you guys want to fund a second shrine, we're totally behind that. <laughs> a double shrine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, all no. have to, they have to be the exact same size though, but yeah. They do. Yeah. It's shrine. all modeled after the original and yeah. shown to that German. Shrine A and shrine B. Yeah. yeah, and Shrine C and Shrine D and Shrine E. <laughs> no, literally, in the yeah. city of Santiago, Chile, there are at least five or six shrines. Hmm. And in the country of Chile total, yeah. there are 22. Man. So, there are they're some countries... On, uh, what is it with them in the shrines? Why They're, they're real big. Uh... It's it's part of their daily life. Like, hmm. they... It's it's a way of recentering themselves on God. and. Yeah. And it's also a spiritual home for them. Um, and it's not that they don't participate in their parishes, but it's it just it adds a different flavor to their daily life. It's it adds a Marian flavor because yeah. you know, like she by dwelling in in that place, she adds a very maternal um, kind of sense to to the area around it um, that. You know, you don't really experience very many other places because, you know, she's asked, we've asked her and we will ask her at the shrine in Austin to dwell in that place in a very particular way. Yeah. Um, so. That's amazing. So, so, yeah. so Chile is, has it right then. So, yeah. So, so now, yeah. uh, what, okay, 
okay, this is more of a theological question now. So, uh, so I already did like total consecration of Jesus through Mary, through, uh, this is St. Louis Marie Grignon de Montfort. Now, uh, <laughs> which is a fabulous name, by the way. Yeah, I didn't like the name. Yeah, so. Actually, my, my friend Camille gave me grief for saying Proust in the first podcast. He goes, it's not pronounced Proust, it's pronounced Proust. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sorry. I, you know, I'm an American. But anyway, so, yeah, so like, um, you know, in that point, you know, when you do total consecration, uh, you know, through, the, okay, through St. Marie Louis or whatever, anyway. So when you do that total consecration, I mean, you know, you say basically you're just giving everything over to Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, can you do, uh, I, I've asked people this and never gotten a good answer. Like, you know, can you do multi, can you consecrate yourself to the, I think you've asked me this Mary, question. Can you, can I do a covenant consecration through Schoenstone and, you know, I've already I, given Mary everything. What's left to, you know, pretty much done, right? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, I don't really see, you know, how. Um, and, well, and, and do I have to, to, you know, do the covenant thing in order to come to mass every week or, or whatever, once a month right. with you people? Or those, are, those are all very work? good questions. So, yeah. so I think, I think we've had this conversation before. Oh, we may but have, yeah. I'm, so. I'm definitely happy to repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Some people may not have heard the original response. This is that, true. So. This is true. <laughs> so I think to answer your first question, um, a lot depends on the individual Right, because that's between you and God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that it, treating the covenant as a way... So the covenant of love, first of all, is very similar to St. Louis-Marie de Montfort's total consecration to Mary. So in the covenant you're saying, I offer you all of the sacrifices and everything that I have in my life to you in exchange for the graces that you have at your disposal through your intercessory power. Mm. Um, and so you're, you know, basically doing what you did in, in that total consecration to Mary. Um, but I, I think that there is a way that you could treat the covenant of love as a way of renewing that total consecration to Mary. Yeah. So it doesn't and, and necessarily they do renewals. Usually, it's like we're right. supposed to renew once a year. Yeah. yeah. So I I wouldn't necessarily treat them as two distinct entities. It could just be a way of kind of going deeper into that spirituality that you've already established through yeah. that total consecration. Um, which answer. I think, yeah. which I think is you know is really beautiful. And even in Schoenstatt, there you know we talk about how there are kind of different levels of that kind of entering into that covenant of love. So the first the first kind of step that you can take is called the covenant. And then there's what's called the blank check, which is, you know, just basically saying, I've been living out my covenant, but I see how the Blessed Mother has kind of given me these graces to be able to go deeper. And so I want to offer myself again in a new way. Yeah. And then there's a third level, which is called inscriptio, which is even going even deeper. Um, and of course, we don't have time to get into all of the details, and I honestly don't know all of the details. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I can definitely see how, you know, there would be a way of renewing that total consecration. Um, and then to answer your second question, uh, n- no, you don't, you don't need to make the covenant of love to come to any Schoenstatt events or to come to Covenant Mass or to even, you know, participate in, in the kind of groups that we have that meet regularly and 
and talk about Shunstead spirituality. So it's really, you know, we're open to everyone. No, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. It, it is nice if they bring something to the potluck. Though. It, it is very nice. Yes, I even got an yeah. email about that this afternoon. So. <laughs> she was like, please remind everybody to bring something to the potluck next Sunday. <laughs> I think I brought leftover sodas last time. That's okay. Yeah, as long as there's food, people are happy. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was pretty good food, actually. So yeah. yeah, there is good food. So now, now we're going to interview our buddy Joe Morse on his new book. So now, now I'm yeah. I'm more like Larry King. He doesn't ever read the book, but but I I read Joe's. I I got like two chapters in. So, um, but I did read his previous book called Gods of Ruin. So mm-hmm. now you're you're further into it than I am, right? Yeah, so, I'm about yeah. thirty five chapters in. I don't know what page number that is. Okay, yeah, you're. Uh, that, that's pretty far. You're probably maybe halfway in. I'm guessing. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. So. I told him it's good because I, that way I won't give away any spoilers, so he can then he can convince you know everybody how awesome the exactly. book is. Exactly, so, can I, I can have a fresh view of it, and then and then you know you can you can speak as somebody who's already gotten you know, pretty deep into it. So yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So. And then um, yeah, his uh, um, can you tell that it's Joe writing? I mean, uh, does he t- write the way he speaks or? Um, I, uh, I I don't know. Um, I read his Gods of Ruin book. It's um, it's a lot of it's a lot of his economics uh, ideas mm-hmm. put in there. So libertarian uh, things sort of uh, snuck in there. And uh, yes. this one's more theological. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I in terms of the narrator's voice, I can't yeah. really tell that it's Joe. Yeah. But because I know Joe's ideas, it is very apparent. Just in terms of what he would insert in there. Um, But I was also surprised just, um, I guess, by the premise of the book. You know, that's something that I didn't even know Joe was thinking about until a couple months ago. And, um, you know, I think the premise is just really interesting to, like, have a virgin birth set in modern times. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, part... Parthenogenesis is the, uh, the term. Yeah. yeah, and I, I told him that there's a there was an '80s band called Shriekback that had a um, they had a, they had a song named Nemesis, and uh-huh. uh, they actually uh, there's a one of the lyrics is talks about Parthenogenesis. Interesting. And they found a, a, a rhyme for Parthenogenesis, which we normally wouldn't think possible, but probably yeah. the only pop song that talks about about it. So, so, so what <laughs> what rhymes with Parthenogenesis? It was, it was Big Black Nemesis Parthenogenesis. Nice. Yeah, so but, <laughs> that's great. But yeah, it was. Uh, I have no idea why they put that in there. I'm sure just a random. They were yeah. randomly going through the dictionary and they 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 tossed that in there. But a it, good complicated word. Pretty much. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, so I guess we'll yeah we'll take a break and then we'll we will talk with Joe. We're going to talk about both about his writing career in general and then also about the about the book. So but, sounds great. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back. The groups Single Catholics Serving Central Texas and the Austin Catholic Singles present the first annual Share the Love Charity Ball on February 8th, 2014 from 7.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at San Jose Catholic Church Hall, which is at 2435 Crestview Avenue here in Austin, Texas. The event is open to adults 21 and over. Join us for an evening of good old-fashioned fun. There will be dance lessons best dress contest, photo booth, desserts, and refreshments. Come and mingle with other Catholics, find out about fellowship and service opportunities, 
and support your local community. Cocktail attire is requested and 50s vintage attire is encouraged. The suggested donation is $15. 100% of the proceeds will benefit Catholic Charities of Central Texas. For any questions or for more info, you can check out the website at cctx.org slash events slash share the love. That's cctx.org slash events slash s-h-a-r-e-t-h-e-l-o-v-e. Thank you. All right, so we are back. So now we're joined by my good buddy Joe Morse. How's it going? How's it going, Joe? Oh, it's fantastic. Right, right. Yeah, so, be alive. so, uh, so now, um, yeah. So, Kate and I we're, we're bantering. We're talking a little bit about the book. So, um, but we want to talk about your writing career. Uh, so, so now, how how long? How many years have you been, you've been writing now? Well, I've been officially writing um, in a public sense since two thousand five. Okay, that's when I um, finished my uh, first book and published it. Okay, so about my company, nine. my publishing company. Okay, it's so almost nine years. Yeah, and have, yeah, and I and I have to say it was it was atrocious. The first huh. book, yeah, yeah, and I don't know how many people were willing to admit what, what, that, but it was really bad. What was um, it called? It's the Evolution <laughs> Diet. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, but the first first edition was uh, just horrible, like you know, er- typing errors, typos, um, just very little real content, um, just really poor writing all around um so it was it wasn't a natural gift that got me writing yeah i'll tell you that but i I gotta i gotta say that the next editions the second and third editions of those were excellent see that's why it's good to do it on kindle because then you just wipe out all the the old editions right there's no evidence just just do a release and just update it right right that's the future right yeah yeah but the yeah the uh as the evolution diet evolved, it has been is like a it has become a quality product, and I can actually recommend it to my friends. That's good. Yeah, and to all your people. Okay, that's good. Really, I'm, I'm just like gonna be plugging my stuff all You're night. Like, yeah, Are you ready for that? Plug away. Yeah. Shameless. I, uh, yeah. Shamelessly plugging. By the way, you can always go to Joe's People at Joe'sPeople.com. So check out everything. Yeah. Nice plug. But yeah, Katie, you have a plug. Well, yeah, yeah. Shows she already plugged. Shows she plugged that us. <laughs> she plugged the show and stuff thing already, awesome. so yeah, it's, it's okay. She's plugging Mary. Uh, yeah, that's yes, a good plug. I am. I'm here so, representing Mary. So. What do I'm represent? her liaison. What, what is the? <laughs> is it the? So now we hear about the paleo diet. Is the yeah. evolution diet pretty similar? Or yeah, what's I totally beat the paleo diet. Did you? Yeah. You, you mean you, you came with it with ahead of time? Or yeah, well, at least better? in my mind, I did. I I didn't know there was anything like it when I was developing the the evolution diet. Yeah, I didn't know that anything like it existed I'm like this has got to be out there and it's like why don't people so it's deep like the cavemen eight or uh... yeah when when I was writing it researching writing that it was all about Atkins and mm-hmm. Atkins was you know everyone was on Atkins they were losing weight but they were just they hated food yeah that's what it does to you it's like makes you hate food and everybody else around you so it's like, this is not right. Like, all the fad diets. And, and so I started researching and looking at it. And it was like, we do not eat how we're supposed to eat, how we were designed to eat. So, so we need more woolly mammoth and more uh, yes. stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. More mammoth, more uh, saber-toothed cat. Saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more dinosaur. Yeah. Dinosaur yeah. tail. 
So. That's how we were designed to eat. Okay. And so it's a shame that those aren't around anymore. But yeah. So you just do what you can. You eat whatever. Uh, yeah. Similar. Pterodactyls or yeah. Yeah. The yeah. modern. Or modern equivalent birds, equivalent, maybe. Yeah, exactly. yeah. What about uh, so? Uh, so how many books have you written now? Man, it's um. It's okay if it's... Yeah, once I, once I got that. going, it was like 10. It's been 10. 10? Yeah. Cool. One, over one a year? Wow. But those are... A lot of those are editions, so the Evolution Diet's up to three editions. Hmm. So it's kind of cheating, but... Um, so, so what motivated you? What motivated you to write? See, now I'm getting, I'm getting to Charlie Rose mode now. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, like I said, it wasn't natural <laughs> talent, because I was horrible um, when I first started... But um, my brother, who's a very big influence and inspiration, he um, had a, you know, this idea to write a philosophy book after college and um, had a very excellent cover and design and less excellent editing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was it was poorly written as well, but, I mean... He went out there and did it, and um, he looked for publishers um, and didn't have too much success, so he just published it himself. Mm-hmm. And um, that was called Amazement, if you want to go back and check that out. And it's a it's a great philosophy, and that obviously has led into other philosophical books. Um, and so he did that, and so that inspired me. It's like, all right, he can do it. I can do it. We, we're twins and very competitive, so... yeah. I was like, I can do that, and I can sell more than the eight copies that his book sold. <laughs> <laughs> and half of those were to my mom, so. so I you got to sell a mom. Yeah, mom, yeah, get mom out there buying. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and it actually, it did sell really well. And I was right, like, people like diet books. They yeah. love the, the diet books. And um, I think it's important. Food is so integral to our lives, and... Um, a lot of people don't put much thought into what they're eating, and so I, th- I think it was good, um, and it was it's been good for me. But it's funny every time I talk about the book, and Katie, you probably realize this. It's like I'm always eating like something incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, like yeah. two <laughs> pieces of apple pie with you know Hagen Dazs on it. And yeah. Yeah, we were hot dotty bacon the other day. on top of that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, my theory is you probably you must somehow burn five thousand calories a day. I don't yes, know, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we were hot dotty. You, you got two burgers though. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. and I think running <laughs> running is pretty big. Yeah, running. Yeah, yeah. maybe you should run a hundred miles a day. Probably burn up all that. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. But yeah. yeah. So what? Uh, um... So yeah, so you also you self-publish. So now, what's that? What's that all about? The, how, how do you how do you go about? I like to say that I have my own publishing company. Okay, so sounds a lot company, a lot more so. sophisticated than <laughs> self-publish. That's like <laughs> vanity publishing. Yeah. yeah, no. So we and we do. We've had other um, writers that we've published also. So that mm-hmm. makes us legit. Okay, right there. So, um, okay. but yeah, the so you're not you're not cranking out. You don't get a printing press. You're not you're not finding. Oops, no, and and the technologies out there, um, they, I mean, you can really, like with Amazon uh, mainly, and we've dealt with a couple other co- companies before Amazon, but Amazon really does it. They um, make it really easy to have your content, um, format it, um, and then upload it, um, sell it 
through all their distribution channels, which is yeah. basically online. Um, unless you sell over 10,000 copies, you're not going to be in the bookstores. So, yeah. uh, And your book is, is available in my Joe's People store, by the way. So. Just, one, of just one of the books? Off of Joe's People. Just one of my books? I, I could get more in there. To, you know. I think this is the one yeah. that's most appropriate. Yeah, This yeah. is my first spiritual fiction. And by this, I mean now and at the hour of our death. Yeah. Which I was going to ask about that title. So did, did you yeah. make up that, that well, phrase yourself? Do you want to get there? Because <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds a little familiar. But yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, so. Uh, right. Yeah, just you know, right, inspiration. Was it just uh, you it was just miraculous? Day? Actually, yeah, I just woke just up and direct it was just there. That, yeah, it hasn't been patented or copyrighted. No, no, no. So just, yeah, and I did, I did. TM. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah I, I'd trademark it because you know, you know somebody might have a leap on that. So. Yeah, but all right. So yeah, well, yeah. Let's take a break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about the book, uh, your latest book. Nice. The Diocese of Austin is beginning the process of developing a new pastoral plan. This important document will guide the mission and direction of our diocese for the next five years. But we need your input to better respond to the pastoral needs of the people in our diocese. The planning team is hosting a series of listening sessions throughout the diocese so that we can collect your input. These listening sessions are open to everyone, and the planning team hopes you can take part in this important process. Make certain your parish or ministry is represented at one of the sessions. Each of the sessions is from 7 to 9 p.m., and there will be one on January 21st at St. Helen Catholic Church in Georgetown at Frizzell Hall, January 22nd at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Bryan at the Parish Center, February 5th at St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in Austin, February 6th at St. Louis Catholic Church in Waco, the Riker Campus in Saint, at St. Joseph Hall, and February 11th at Saint, Santa Cruz Catholic Church in Buda in the Sanctuary. There are also Spanish listening lessons also at 7 p, uh, to 9 p.m. Uh, on February 11th at Santa Cruz Catholic Church in Buda at Dean Hall, and also on February 12th at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Austin. Please come and give your ideas and your input. Thank you. So, so Joe, do you have any questions about the book, like that you? Yeah. So yeah. what? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah well, uh, I wanted to know about the. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit into the book. You know, I'm about a couple chapters in, so it's just you know, looking forward to the rest of the book. Yeah. So, yeah. But, the record, but, the record read, I think, is two days. Two days. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite there. I gotta. I'm reading the Spiritual Combat at the same time, so that, that's our, that's uh, Frank, oh, St. Francis de Sales' favorite book. Very he always, appropriate. He always, yeah. that, uh, he, he always had that in, in his pocket. He said, so. oh. "But yeah, so uh, I wanted to know about the uh, um, uh, so yeah, okay, yeah. So obviously you didn't make up the title on your own. You, you sort of use that from uh, although it's not copyrighted. I don't think. I think you're good on that. So the uh, yeah. <laughs> that's from Hell, the Hail Mary. I the Hail Mary. So yeah, yes. so, very yeah, good. So she's not going to. Hopefully, she you don't get sued for that. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, okay, now tell us about the cover on the photo because now there's this this cute blonde who almost has a haunted look. Um, yeah, the, uh, it, cover, so. it turned out really well. So she yeah. is a creation mm-hmm. of mine. There was a uh, there was a stock photo that I had lined up. And girl in the same pose, like looking pretty enigma- enigmatic mm-hmm. and mysterious, but she also kind of looked like a drug addict. 
So I, the first um, viewers, the test people, like friends, they said, like, no, this is not going to fly. It looks interesting, but it's not going to fly. So I found some software that merged that face with another very innocent, pure-looking person mm. and without the drugs. And so, voila, you have the uh, a creation, a person that's, or well, at least a face that doesn't exist. Okay. So that so, is Mary Credence, the character. Okay. So you're saying Not there's no chance that model would go out with with, with me. Because so <laughs> she doesn't exist, really. So you're saying, okay. No, I'm just saying, okay. Just, you know, it might be a match. Well, well have you, um, there's a movie, uh, what is the movie, Her, out mm-hmm. recently, where the guy dates his operating system? Oh, really? this? Yeah. That's no. That sounds like a bad idea. I just no. It's not. I mean, I, I, I think it, it could I mean, be. I think it's probably written by a Linux uh, system operator. Sure, it might have been her. You know, just admin. Yeah, so I, I could see how that. Yeah, you can see how that's attractive. Yeah, so. but no, just how it could be a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So okay. So now, um, tell us a little bit about the book. Now, I you know I know that there's a. So you know I'm deep enough in that. Uh, so it's um, there's a we have two sisters, one of which is kind of a party girl. Yeah, and then one of which is uh, um, discerning, possibly being a consecrated celibate or uh, yeah. um, leading a leading a chaste life. Yeah, and so that's that's her main thing. Like she's she's a devout gal, and she wants to give herself, devote herself to Christ, mm-hmm. and and that means becoming a, a consecrated virgin. And that that's not necessarily a nun. Yeah, uh, for those who might be interested, it's um, they're usually in the world as opposed to uh, cloistered, and, and I think just there's only about like two hundred thousand. I don't know if it's in the U.S. Yeah. in the world. I think yeah, there are about two hundred thousand consecrated celibates. So yeah, yeah, and they're not as popular. I think they being a nun's more popular out of favor. Yeah. yeah, in the medieval times, they grew out of favor, but recently started becoming more more popular um but so her thing is she's going to be a virgin for for christ yeah and shockingly to her she finds out that she's pregnant okay so now is that a spoiler do we have to should we have given a spoiler alert or is that uh, well i mean it's on the back it's on the, the, it's cover, on the cover, so. back cover right? so it's a, it's all it's all fine so it's, yeah it's not really just more of a i teaser, think it, so. yeah i think in that I've tried to I've tried to figure out a, a good way to you know pitch it and it's yeah. difficult to do that because um, that's the hook. Right? That, that, yeah, that's the hook, and you gotta that should make you you know just go after it and like just be dying to read it. Yeah, um, and it's a. Uh... <laughs> We talked about the word parthenogenesis. Yes. So it's not not a commonly known word, really. So. Right. But it does uh, actually. There's a guy who wrote a book called The Physics of Christianity. Who talks about parthenogenesis um, and how virgin births actually occur in nature pretty mm-hmm. frequently? Yeah. Um, so it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Um, but you actually, your your wife had a um, had an observation though, about parthenogenesis. She did not have parthenogenesis. No, 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 no. no. But but she <laughs> she mentioned she she made a uh, mention that parthenogenesis only only um, results in a uh, a female. Yes. So that Jesus couldn't have been the result of parthenogenesis. Right. Because so, you don't well, have, and he, he would have XY chromosomes, not, not XX. Right. So. And so I did some research, and it's possible that Jesus could have um, resulted from parthenogenesis and um, this thing called microchimerism, where the there's a male and female twins 
in the fetus. And sometimes one of the twins consumes the other twin. Yeah. And so they have the genes of both twins in one being, one organism. Okay. Um, and that that's some <laughs> pretty wild, um, I don't know, bioethics questions and um, presented that, there. But that was so actually that, on, the off, on the office. Dwight said he ate his own, his twin in Guru. Okay. So that's why well, he has the strength of two men. It's so, it's yeah. in the office. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's in the office, it must, it must yeah, be. Yeah, it must be legitimate. Yeah. And yeah. so that that's a possibility, uh, very, very unlikely. And But that's what miracles are, right? Yeah. Extremely rare. And so, I mean, that brings up a, a larger point. Like, if there's a scientific explanation for something, does that make it a miracle? Does that lessen the importance of a miracle? Well, there's also the idea, but I mean, um, I mean, a virgin birth that also um, that also fulfills a bunch of Old Testament prophecy as well, right? Coming from his adopted uh, father from the line of David mm-hmm. um, uh, at just the right time, mm-hmm. fulfilling a bunch of other prophecies, right? right. So, um, yeah, but most people would say no. I mean, that um, no, I mean, you know, the miracle was, you know. Uh, Right, Mary being overshadowed by, by the Holy Spirit and conceiving a child in mm-hmm. virgin birth, right? Right. So. Yeah, and we don't know exactly what happened and how it was caused. Um, yeah, but I think... And, and I'm fascinated with the scientific aspect of it. You know, mm-hmm. once a miracle is in nature, we can know certain things about it. Yeah. And that actually proves that it couldn't have had any other cause except for the supernatural sometimes when you know enough about it and realize that this doesn't have a natural cause. Yeah. Um, but some people, the more you know about a miracle, the less they think it's a miracle. And so it lessens the importance of a miracle. Yeah. But it, it interests me and it makes it more interesting to me. Lewis had actually said, I mean, that was his, um, he kind of turned the atheist argument on his head, on its head, and said that um, an impartial observer looking at the looking at human life, uh, there's no way that with all the wars and all the devastation and the plagues and everything, there's no way that such an observer could conclude that there was a um, uh, a rational observer would conclude that there was a god that was benevolent overseeing all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, there were a large percentage of humans that thought that there was a benevolent god. Hmm. And since there's no um, since there's no natural explanation for why humans should should believe in the existence of God, given that, then there must be a supernatural reason for people to believe in God, and that supernatural reason must be God. Wow. So, but anyway, so uh, that's, so Katie, that's a really cool proof. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, he was pretty smart. Yeah, he was. He was yeah, a little bit. Uh, I started my book off with a quote from him, which I I really like because. A lot of people think that miracles suspend na- the laws of nature. And yeah, I like, and, and, I like his and Lewis, Lewis wrote a whole book on miracles. Yes, right, yeah. yeah, and this is from that. Miraculous wine will intoxicate. Miraculous conception will lead to pregnancy. Inspired books will suffer all the ordinary process processes of textual corruption, like my books. <laughs> Miraculous bread will be digested. The divine art of miracle is not an art of suspending the pattern to which events conform, but of feeding new events into that pattern. 
Mm-hmm. The supernatural cause. So. Yeah, he talked about, I mean, he talked about miracles being, I believe, like um, uh, logos or thought injecting itself into nature. Mm. Um, but th- it not being a violation of God's, um, uh, or, you know, it not, it not being in some way... Um, uh, Contradictory. You know, uh, yeah, or 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 a um, sort of an insult to the order that God created. That right. he's he's not um, in some way monkeying with things. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, that it's all sort of natural. So, but. so what about you, Katie? Did you have uh, questions about the, uh, or you had some thoughts about the book? I believe I did. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm wondering what prompted you to choose this topic. Because <laughs> it's like, there's so many like philosophical and theological questions that come up when mm-hmm. you deal with Parthenogenesis. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like. Well, I've always been fascinated with you know reading the Bible, and you know I do sometimes do that even though I'm Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing that the other day. Even yeah. though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, just the amazing amazing stories that are in there and every little bit um like after judas you know gave up our lord he like there was a just a sentence where he went and he felt awful and then he went and hanged himself like that how much emotion and power is in that one sentence and and so so many things like that and the miracles that happen like raising from the dead and uh Things like this. So I've been fascinated to see what if those occurrences happen today. And, you know, I mean, they didn't believe, um, they weren't convinced that Christ was Christ when they saw him. You know, yeah. how, how, what would people today, how would people today react to the same events and miracles? And so I just, I just thought about that. Like, what would a virgin birth bring today like what how would people react to that and so just thought about it and you know figuring out how a compelling story for the person who receives the virgin conception um and then how would society react to it you know would there be everyone would scoff obviously they'd be like what you're you're crazy you're just you know making stuff up and actually in the research i found actually after the book um, there's 0.05% of pregnancies women claim virgin preg- conception yeah. even today. So there's there's still a pretty high number of people that claim that. Um, and then everyone just, you know, thinks they're crazy. But what if, you know, what if they're not? And what if there's a medical finding that proves it yeah. or supports the, the claim? Mm-hmm. Like how would people react then? And would... If people started believing, like, what does that do? You know, you I mean, if, if it is, but if it is parthenogenesis uh, for this point of five percent, I mean, what would would there be any markers? I mean, would there be any way of uh, of detecting that? Um, yes. So it's a thing. I mean, has it been? Yes, put, there would be, uh, and I get into that. I, it's actually something. One of the twists mm-hmm. in my book. Okay. So I'm going to leave it to... Yeah, we'll have to... We'll yeah, you don't have to get the book. <laughs> leave that there. Great no spoilers. Segue, yeah. Exactly. No spoiler. But yeah, and, and there would be. Um, so 
I think that that's further proof that that would, you know, that is at least parthenogenesis, if not miraculous. Now, what, um, see, okay, back in school, they always asked us this question, and uh, they'd always be, well, why did the author write this, or what was the goal of the author? And my right. thing was always, oh, make money, I don't know, why, why are you asking me to ask it? What the author? <laughs> but yeah, but what, what would your goal be? What would you hope that people get out of the book? Right, so I, I think I take the stance of the protagonist. So the protagonist is the 17-year-old girl, and her goal is to get people to believe she's a modern day. She wants to be a modern day Joan of Arc, and Joan of Arc was this really amazing human being. You know that she got an entire nation to believe. You know, farm girl, peasant, got to the the front of the the French army, overtook the British, right? The overtook, uh, yeah, and then won the several battles for them or like led, led the led the French army French army yeah and got uh, the, the Dauphin turned uh, the, to, uh, the tide of the yeah the Delphine yeah, yeah. Got, got him to uh, be uh, um, the king be ordained be ordained yeah. exactly um, so just a, that's a miracle yeah. and um, so she she's Mary in the book is uh, really compelled she, she loves Joan of Arc and so she wants to do that for this country and today, you know, it's we're all it's all it's a very skeptical world. Um, the only valid faith today is disbelief, and that's um, where we are. So she wants to turn the tide and get everyone to believe. And so that is is my goal, I guess, in writing it. Like I want people to explore their ideas in science and faith and find something to believe in um, and I and I try to do that even handedly like I'm not I, some of the reviews um, have shown that you know it's pretty even handed and I think there's um, there's there's validity in skepticism yeah um, and a lot of people what people like the um, main antagonist is a devout believer but he believes the wrong thing mm-hmm. as you Katie, you'll find out soon. <laughs> Dude, I'm almost there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, and there's, belief isn't always good, right? It yeah. can do amazing things, but it can also lead to some great evil. So, Mark Simpson had said, uh, one person can make a difference, but most time they probably shouldn't. So, yeah. yeah exactly. That's <laughs> always an appropriate Simpsons quote. Well, yeah, there's always a Simpsons reference, yeah. Are we allowed to say Simpsons? I think we are, yeah. As long as we don't say it in any pejorative sense. And as long as I'm not successful enough that there's enough people down loop. Okay. (laughs) We can call it the Samsons if you want. We could, yeah. We we could, yeah. No, I'm allowed to make references to them in tiny bits. Okay. It's hard not to, really. Yeah. They're part of Americana now. Oh, is that for you personally? Well, yeah, for me and, you know, the world. I, I feel bad I didn't put a Simpsons quote in there in the book and... You could have, yeah. Yeah, I could have. For you, for you, Joe. That would have been, that would have been good, yeah. Yeah. I've had people uh, dedicate books to me. Well, not dedicate, but, you know, just uh, write a little nice dedication. Is that a hint? One that said, you know, (laughs) one, one, one book that said, you know, I couldn't have done it without you, and you're my favorite dance partner. But you don't have to put the second one in, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, I told them to write that, but, you know, still, I think it's still, it was a nice sentiment. Yeah, it is. Very nice. Yeah, so, um, yeah, mainly, 
the idea is to get people to think about belief and because people a lot of people don't they a lot of skeptics don't think that they have faith yeah. they have faith everyone has faith everyone as I said in the later in the book everyone has a God even atheists yeah they may it may be the doctor that's your God or it may be science in general um, yeah South Park had an episode where it was all they worship science yeah so they'd say, you know, science help us, or science yeah. be praised, right? So, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> what about in terms of, um, I mean, isn't also, uh, it's kind of um, putting us back in into the mind of Mary, and back into those times, and what she went through, yeah. um, and that situation, right? So, I mean, almost in the way, like, you know, we, we ponder mysteries in the rosary, um, so pondering the Annunciation, and, um, you know, how she dealt with that situation, right? Right, which, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's, it's something amazing. And uh, I don't have the character um, visited by, by any angel. Yeah. So everything, there aren't as overt signs as that. Yeah. But it's still, she's still dealing with, you know, she's a young girl and... No sexual experience, and then she's pregnant. Like that is a, that's a crisis of faith, and she, you know, pushes through. She has really strong faith, but as things pile on, uh, events, and you know, the wrong people learn about it and start antagonizing her, she does start to doubt her her faith. Yeah, and so there's just I th- it's a really uh, compelling. It was a compelling story for me to write and. Hopefully people can identify with that. Cool. All right. Well, we will have it. Uh, we have it available on the on the uh, Joe's People website. And uh, yeah, we'll have to put Gods of Ruin up too, see, because uh, you know I've, I've actually I've read that. I've oh read yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I think I got that on Kindle. Should write a review. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I can. Uh, I'll put a. You know. I'm always up for honest. Reviews. I'll discern. Yeah, discern about it. Yeah. yeah. So, but all right, great. Well, thanks for coming on the show yet again, and thanks, Katie, for being our co-host. Thanks, Joe. All right. And, yeah. Yep. And we will be take a break, and I'll be back. The groups Single Catholic Serving Central Texas and the Austin Catholic Singles present the first annual Share the Love Charity Ball on February eighth, twenty fourteen from 7.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at San Jose Catholic Church Hall, which is at 2435 Crestview Avenue here in Austin, Texas. The event is open to adults 21 and over. Join us for an evening of good old-fashioned fun. There will be dance lessons, best dress contest, photo booth, desserts, and refreshments. Come and mingle with other Catholics, find out about fellowship and service opportunities, and support your local community. Cocktail attire is requested, and 50s vintage attire is encouraged. The suggested donation is $15. 100% of the proceeds will benefit Catholic Charities of Central Texas. For any questions or for more info, you can check out the website at cctx.org slash events slash share the love. That's cctx.org slash events slash S-H-A-R-E-T-H-E-L-O-V-E. Thank you.
Okay, so now I'm going to introduce you to a poem that actually I discovered because of a homily by uh, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo. Uh, it was a homily he gave at the uh, Mass for the University Catholic Center's uh, University Catholic Center at, the UT, at uh, UT Austin for their uh, 100th gala. And um, it was a uh, it was sort of a striking homily. He mentioned this poem by a Russian poet, and um, he read a, a stanza from it, and he said, I would give anything to be able to write like that. And the poem had always stuck with me. Um, the problem was that the title and the exact name of the author didn't stick with me. So I'd searched for it for years, and I was Googling around on a... Um, it was on a Christmas Eve a couple years ago, and actually found the exact poem he was talking about. And um, I was extremely grateful, and I thought it was amazing that I uh, discovered it on uh, Christmas Eve. So uh, the poem is about uh, the Canticle of Simeon, and it's very appropriate. Uh, I don't normally date the podcasts, but um, uh, today is the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus, and the um, the poem is uh, Joseph Brodsky's um, his description in po uh, in uh, a poem of the the meeting, and in fact the name of the poem, and I know I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's uh, Nunc Dimittis, N U N C, and D I M I T T I S, which means the meeting. Uh, and he, uh, it was written in Russian, uh, and in Russian it actually does rhyme, and the meter is amphibrachic tetrameter. Uh, which actually, funny enough, one of Dr. Seuss's stories is actually in that same meter. Um, but when converted to English or um, translated to English, it doesn't quite have the same meter and it doesn't rhyme. But it still is amazing imagery. So so without further ado, I will read Nunctimidus, The Meeting. When Mary first came to present the Christ child to God in his temple, she found of those few who fasted and prayed there, departing not from it, devout Simeon and the prophetess Anna. The holy man took the babe up in his arms. The three of them, lost in the grayness of dawn, now stood like a small shifting frame that surrounded the child in the palpable dark of the temple. The temple enclosed them in forests of stone. Its lofty vault stooped as though trying to cloak the prophetess Anna and Simeon and Mary to hide them from men and to hide them from heaven, and only a chance ray of light struck the hair of that sleeping infant who stirred but as yet was conscious of nothing and blew drowsy bubbles. Old Simeon's arms held him like a stout cradle. It had been revealed to this upright old man that he would not die until his eyes had seen the Son of the Lord, and thus it came to pass, and he said, now, O Lord, lettest thou thy poor servant, according to thy holy word, leave in peace. For mine eyes have witnessed thine offspring. He is thy continuation and also the source of thy light for idolatrous tribes and the glory of Israel as well. The old Simeon paused, the silence regaining the temple's clear space, oozed from all its corners and almost engulfed them and only his echoing words grazed the rafters, to spin for a moment with faint rustling sounds, high over their heads in the tall temple's vaults, 
akin to a bird that can soar, yet that cannot return to the earth, even if it should want to. A strangeness engulfed them. The silence now seemed as strange as the words of old Simeon's speech, and Mary, confused and bewildered, said nothing. So strange had his words been. He added while turning directly to Mary, Behold, in this child, now close to thy breast, is concealed the great fall of many, the great elevation of others, a subject of strife and a source of dissension, and that very steel which will torture his flesh shall pierce through thine own soul as well, and that wound will show to thee, Mary, as in a new vision, what lies hidden deep in the hearts of all people. He ended and moved toward the temple's great door. Old Anna bent down with the weight of her years, and Mary, now stooping, gazed after him, silent. He moved and grew smaller in size and in meaning. To these two frail women who stood in the gloom, as though driven on by the force of their looks, he strode through the cold, empty space of the temple and moved toward the whitening blur of the doorway. The stride of his old legs was steady and firm. When Anna's voice sounded behind him, he slowed his step for a moment. But she was not calling to him. She had started to bless God and praise him. The door came still closer. The wind stirred his robe and fanned at his forehead. The roar of the street, exploding in life by the door of the temple, beat stubbornly into old Simeon's hearing. He went forth to die. It was not the loud din of streets that he faced when he flung the door wide, but rather the deaf and dumb fields of death's kingdom. He strode through a space that was no longer solid. The rustle of time ebbed away in his ears, and Simeon's soul held the form of the child, its feathery crown now enveloped in glory, aloft like a torch pressing back the black shadows to light up the path that leads into death's realm, where never before until this present hour had any man managed to lighten his pathway. The old man's torch glowed, and the pathway grew wider. Okay, that's our show for this week. I'd like to thank my good friend Katie Martin for being my co-host this week, and also I'd like to thank uh, Joe Morse for coming on and discussing his book, Now and at the Hour of Our Death, which, as we said, is available uh, at joespeople.com in the Amazon store. Uh, it's available both on Kindle and also in print. Uh, and I'd also like to thank Cardinal DiNardo for, uh, for uh, bringing to my attention the amazing poem by uh, Joseph Brodsky, uh, Nunc Dimittis, and it's truly a gift. And I'd like to dedicate that reading to Card the Cardinal. And I'd like to thank you all for tuning in yet again and for walking with with us for a mile or two in our walk with God. And this is Joe Geisler saying good night and God bless from Austin, Texas. I'm so glad.